Before you sit down, I just want to ask you to join me in prayer for some very special people that are part of our church family. Brad and Maria Feston have been part of this church for, I don't know, 20 years, some 20 years, and they're serving in a very volatile part of uh, Africa right now, known as the Central Africa Republic, or CAR. And uh, there's been a lot of chaos there over the last couple days, and uh, so I just want to just pause for a minute and lift them up and pray for them. So, Lord, we pray for our friends, our uh, brother and sister in Christ, Brad and Maria, in the midst of this uh, just very chaotic, uh, scary situation. They feel safe. They don't feel threatened, but uh, many people in C-A-R, CAR, the nation of CAR, do. So we just pray for your blessing on Brad and Maria, their family, uh, their loved ones, their fellow workers in the gospel, the people of CAR, that you would bring peace to their hearts and peace to this region. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so uh, in case you don't know me, my name is Matt Woodley, and I'm the missions pastor here. Um, I've served as a missions pastor for about the last year full-time, and there's a lot of pluses and minuses to being a pastor, but one of the really nice things about being a pastor is you don't have to worry about what you're going to do on Sunday morning. You know, you don't have to wonder um, if you're going to show up for church, if you're going to sleep in, if you're going to play golf, because... If you don't make prior arrangements with uh, Deacon Karen and the bishop and you don't show up, uh, you know, eventually you'll get fired, right? I mean, that probably would happen. So, yeah, right. <laughs> One time, right? One time. Okay. <laughs> so, but at different points in my career, I haven't always been a pastor. I've been other things in my life. Um, at one point in my life, about six years ago, I was actually working full-time as an editor, uh, managing a website. And um, at that particular point in time in my life, um, I was... Um, um, n- in a bit of a crisis, especially in regard to my prayer life, my life of prayer. And um, I was at the point where I thought, well, I'm not even sure if I want to show up for church on Sunday to start with. And then I'm not even sure really, I had a lot of doubts about my faith in God. And, I, and I, it was kind of a crisis time in my life. And my prayer life, which had been pretty vital and good connection with God, began to really shrink and kind of shrivel up and almost become non-existent. Now, I mentioned that just really briefly, a little slice of my life, because I want you to know that I can relate to the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning. I love this passage of Scripture because it's like, it wasn't just like something that was written 3,000 years ago. I feel like as we walk through this psalm that you heard read, that this is my story. I can own this story. This is a story of my life, the story of, uh, of a man named Asaph. So I want to invite you to turn in your bulletin to that portion of the scripture, Psalm 73. You just heard that. Actually, we just read that together. <clears throat> and you'll notice that it begins in verse 1 and it says, Asaph says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So he starts on this really positive note and he says, this basic creedal statement that all Jewish people of that day would believe in. It's like maybe some of us saying, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Or, I, well, like we were gonna, or like in a few minutes we recite the Apostles' Creed. But then notice what he says in verse 2. He says, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped and I had nearly lost my foothold. And it's almost like spiritually speaking, he's saying, I went to like this edge of the cliff. I walked there. And it was like a rock that was like slipping back and forth. You know, have you ever been there on a mountain pass, a, a rock that just doesn't seem very secure? And he says, 
I came to the edge and something inside of me said, just go over the cliff. And something inside of me said, no, go backwards. He said, I was at that kind of crisis point in my life, especially when it revolves around my life of prayer. Now, if you have ever felt that way, ever felt like, man, I just need to take a long break from God? Or you ever felt like, there's just some really real, painful, disillusioning things that have happened to me. Just some bad things. Some hurtful things. Maybe you saw a bunch of hypocrites in the church and it really turned you off. Maybe you walked away a long time ago. Maybe you're just sitting on the fence. You're not sure which direction you're going to go. Well, if you've ever felt that way, if you ever will feel that way, then this Psalm 73 is for you. Now, I want us to look, first of all, at who wrote this psalm, because it says it's a psalm of Asaph. 150 psalms in the Bible. We don't always get who wrote it, but this one we do. We find out who the author is. Asaph, who was he, and why is that so important? Well, he was a worship leader. Under King David, the greatest king of Israel, he led worship. He wrote worship music. He wrote scripture. He was a godly man. He's the guy that went to the cliff and almost fell over. He's the guy whose prayer life just dried up and shut down. And notice how it happened because he gives us, he he analyzes this in verses 3 through 14. And we can pick up some clues of what was going on inside his head and his heart and what, what his story was. So in verse 3 he says, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So we can probably infer that Asaph was not a rich man. He struggled financially. So all these other people out here didn't care about God that were doing very well financially. Verse 4, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. So we can probably infer that Asaph had bodily struggles. Or maybe his loved ones. He'd seen illnesses, he'd seen injuries, he'd seen accidents. And he said, the wicked, they don't have those kind of struggles. Verse 5, they are free from common human burdens and not plagued by human ills. In other words, he probably had burdens. And so he looks at what's going on around here, and he's like a detective with a notepad, and he's jotting down notes, and he's going, look at those people over there. Look at those people over there. Look at that group of people. They're the hip, cool, sophisticated, smart, rich, together people. And they all have one thing in common. They don't really care about God very much. And me? What's going on with my life? So in verse 13 he says, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. So he comes to this crisis point. Now I'll give you a little spoiler alert. Asaph gets to this crisis point. The Lord works in his life and turns his life around, and this story has a happy ending. But it doesn't look very happy at this point. But from Asaph, we get a really important truth here. And that is, in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of it, when it looks like his faith is going south, when it looks like his prayer life is completely shutting down, it actually becomes an opportunity. It becomes a crucible of spiritual transformation. It becomes an opportunity to get clear about God. It becomes an opportunity to restart his prayer life. Now, how does that happen? How does it become an opportunity? Well, let me just talk about, based on this passage, three ways that it became an opportunity for Asaph and that it became an opportunity for us. First, it becomes an opportunity to look at yourself. It becomes an opportunity to work on yourself. 
When you feel like you're in this place of crisis, how did that happen? Notice verse 17. It says, Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. When did things begin to click for Asaph? When did his life kind of begin to turn around? When did this, this crisis become a crucible of opportunity? Well, it happened, he said, when I came into the sanctuary of God. Uh, what's the sanctuary of God? Well, for the Jewish people, it meant the public communal gathering of the people of God. For us, it would be what you're doing right now, coming to worship on Sunday morning. Something happens when we come, we leave our isolation, we get out of our solo spiritual journey, we just get out of our own head, and we come together with the people of God, we hear the Word of God, we confess our sins together, we hear the historic statements of the Christian faith, we experience Christian faith, now, you might be thinking, ah, really? A church? Can't it just be me and Jesus? Or mostly me and Jesus? I mean, so many hypocrites in the church. And I would say, yes, there are lots of hypocrites in the church. And there are worse people than even hypocrites in the church. But you know what else? There's also saints there's spiritual mothers and fathers. There's good men. There's good women. There are, I would venture to say, almost certainly, there are people who have been through very similar things that you've been through, that understand your journey, that would not judge you for your journey because they have been there. And God has miraculously and mercifully brought them out on the other side. The church is also that place. So when he came into the sanctuary of God, he had an opportunity to look at himself, to work on himself. Notice verse 22. He said this, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. That's a pretty blunt self-analysis. He said, God, I just thought... I had all these doubts and questions, but really something was happening in my heart. I was becoming bitter. I was becoming jealous. I was becoming filled with envy. And you needed to change me. I needed some kind of spiritual treatment. You know, I've been told, I don't know if they still do this, but I've been told, I've heard that in the British Highlands, the shepherds, um, every once in a while, they have to give their sheep a very nasty treatment. And what they will do is they will take the sheep one by one and they will dip them, completely submerge them in this vat of disinfectant. And it stings and it hurts and none of the sheep want to do it. And so they always try to resist and the sheepdogs will bark and keep the sheep back in line. And see, the thing is, is that the sheep need it because if they don't get this treatment, they get parasites and then they get sick. So they need it, but they don't like it and they don't want it. Now, I've received treatments like that from God that I don't like. Who wants to be dipped into a vat of disinfectant, you know? But God has done that to me a, a, a lot. And I don't always understand at the time. I usually don't understand it's like, what are you doing, God? Why are you letting this happen? But where did I ever get the idea that I would follow the God of the universe who created everything way more complex than I could ever, ever understand 
that everything he would do in my life, I would really understand immediately. Where did I ever get that idea? So Asaph says, the first thing I had to learn in the, when I was in this crisis is that it was an opportunity for me to look at my own heart, for me to look at myself, for me to change myself. And you know, really, that is the first part of vital prayer. We think of prayer as like, God, would you change him? God, would you change my spouse? God, would you change her? God, would you change them? God, would you change all those really bad people? That's exactly what Asaph was doing. No, prayer starts with, God, would you change me? What are the bad attitudes in my heart? What are the things that are embittering my heart? What are the dark things that are gripping me? So it's an opportunity to look at yourself. Secondly, it's also an opportunity to get God's bigger picture. It's an opportunity to get God's bigger picture on life. You know, most of us look at life like this. You know, it's like you're trying to get, you, you got a map. Remember the days when we used to have maps? You have to look on a paper map, you know. I remember those days. So, But you're looking at a map and you're trying to get from point A to point B and you're looking at it like this. You can't see where you're going. You don't know what the routes are. You don't know what the options are. You don't understand. You need to back it up and kind of spread it out and get the big picture. Well, that's the way a lot of us look at life. It's just like, boom, like that. That's all we see. It's a very limited perspective. Asaph tells us how this crisis of his faith became an opportunity to just kind of back up and get the big picture and see things from a little bit more from God's perspective, not just his limited perspective. Look at verses 17 to 19. He says, Then I understood their final destiny. That's all these people he was jealous of, he was envious of. He said, Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, com completely swept away by terrors. Remember at the very beginning of Asaph's journey, I said he kind of came to like this cliff, this slippery place. He's like, I could have slipped. I could have just gone over the edge. Now Asaph says, You know what? Everybody, every human being, stands in a slippery place. You know, no matter what we try to ultimately build our lives on, whether it's our good looks, our intelligence, our athletic ability, our wealth, our money, all of these great things, they're good gifts. Really good gifts. But if we try to build our life on them, like that's our life, we got to have this and I'll die if I don't have that. It's like trying to build your life on a plastic tarp that's just slathered with olive oil, you know? You just like, you can't, you can't stand on that. You're going to slip, you're going to fall. You know, the uh, basketball player, LeBron James, said something really brilliant a couple years ago. And I really mean this, it's really brilliant, really great insight. He's won four uh, Most Valuable Player Awards. He's won two National Basketball Association championships. Pretty amazing achievements. After the second time he won the NBA championship, he was interviewed in USA Today about what he thought about the victory. And here's what he said. What really got to me was how short of a time it lasted. The championship lasts. He snaps his finger just like that. The confetti rains, you go in the locker room, pop the champagne, you do the media, you have the parade, and then it's over. It's over. You're looking around and everybody's back to normal. And I was like, wow, 
That was an unbelievable 48 hours. I want it again. I have a drive, he said, that's burning inside of me. And I want to continue to be successful. But then again, it's going to be gone like that. That's a great insight. It doesn't matter how much you achieve. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how many fans you have. It's like, boom, it's going to be gone like that. That's not what we were meant to live off of. And then notice what he says in verse 20. He says, They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. In other words, all these rich, cool people that look like they have it all together, you know, every human being, myself included, our life is just poof. It goes by so fast. It's like a dream. You know what a dream is like? You know, you wake up, poof, it's gone. I had a dream this week. Seriously, really had this dream. The government of North Korea was trying to frame me for being a traitor, okay? <laughs> seriously, I seriously had this dream. I could see the document that they had written in my name that they had sent from my email to the U.S. government framing me as a traitor, somebody who was trying to subvert the government. Literally, I was terrified. I was like, oh my gosh, because like, this could really happen. North Korea can do this kind of stuff, you know? So, I mean, they did it to Sony, they could do it to me. So, I'm like, I'm terrified. And then I wake up and I'm like, oh man, was that true? Wait a minute. It's not true. It's not true. The government of North Korea is not trying to frame me as a traitor. I'm off the hook. It's boom. Like a phantom, it was gone. That's what Asaph is telling us about all the things we try so hard to build our lives on, to acquire, to amass, to fill the emptiness inside of us. He's saying, boom, they're going to be like a dream that's gone. Now you might think, wow, that's really harsh. This makes God sounds really judgmental, you know? But, but look at it this way. What if that's the way it's going to really go down? What if, like, LeBron James is right? And the scripture this morning is right. That, boom, it's going to be gone like that. Then isn't God really helping us out by telling us this? Isn't God acting in love to say, I, I don't want you to go there. I have something better for you. I have something more satisfying for you. Yeah, those are all good gifts. Those are all great. Receive them as gifts. But I have something even better than that. And God in His grace wants to give us that broader picture, that broader perspective to say, you know, life is short, life is fragile, but God is good. His love is real. And it will be with you no matter where you go. And it will satisfy your soul no matter what you go through. So it's an opportunity to get God's bigger picture. Finally, it's an opportunity to experience God's grace. Prayer throws us into a relationship with God. It's not just a duty. It's not just, ah, you've got to pray or horrible things are going to happen to you. That's not the message here. The message here is prayer is a vital connection with a God who loves you. An opportunity to experience His grace. Notice what Asaph says in verse 23, because this is a really important part of his 
the psalm and part of his spiritual journey, he says, he says to this to God. So remember before he was just praying about all those people out there. It's like they get this and they get that and blah, 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 blah. You know, he's jealous, he's envious, he's angry, he's full of bitterness. Now he's turning upwards. And he says this, he says, Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. Now notice that comes right after verse 22 where he says, I was a brute beast before you. How does that happen? We act like a brute beast. We act like a wild animal. We act like sheep that go, I hate this treatment, God. I hate you for giving me this treatment. I want you out of my life. We go from that to God. To God says, I'm going to hold you by your hand. I am not going to let you go. How does that make sense? See, many of us have experienced uh, maybe a church experience or maybe our concept of religion is that it's, it's all about, well, here's the rules. Here's 29 ways not to fall over the cliff and ruin your life. And if you already fell over the cliff, well, oh man, too bad for you. That's karma, man. It's too bad. The gospel of Jesus Christ is so much better than that. It's so much better news. The gospel goes like this. We have all fallen over the cliff. We didn't follow the rules. But Jesus came along and rescued us and offers to heal us, and offers to lift us up to a place of honor and to share in His glory. And He has done everything possible to get us back, to win us back from the ways that we've hurt ourselves in our own lives. You know, this past week, or a couple, a couple weeks ago, I canceled my cable service with DirecTV. It's too expensive. Didn't like any of the channels. So I called them and I canceled. I could not believe what they did to win me back. You know, every single day, I would get a couple calls from this number in Texas. Because I googled the area code. Who are these people? Who are these people that love me so much and want to talk to me? So finally I called the number back. It's like DirecTV. Oh, click. I don't want to talk to you. But they kept calling. And finally, just out of aggravation and frustration, they just wore me down. I'm like, okay. I answer the phone. What do you guys want? Oh, Mr. Woodley, we want you back. There's this really nice young guy from Texas. Really enthusiastic. He said, you know, Mr. Woodley, DirecTV, we're like, we're family. We're family. We want you back in the family. And I say, really, family? We're family? Okay, you tell mom and dad I'll be home for dinner on Sunday, okay? <laughs> he like laughed, you know, but he's like, yeah, we'll give you a prepaid, prepaid gift card, $150. Hmm, okay. We'll give you more channels. Hmm, okay. We'll cut your bill in half. Now you're talking, okay? You got me back. They worked to get me back. Do you see what the gospel is? What Jesus has done to get you and me 
back. His blood was shed. His body was broken to get us back. And you know what? He didn't just get us back because he wants something out of us. He got us back because he really does want us to be in our family. We have dinner. We have dinner every Sunday morning. It's called the Eucharist. It's called the Lord's Supper. He says, come to dinner. Come as you are. Come to dinner. Come and trust me. Now, do you see how prayer is such an incredible opportunity? It's not like this grim duty that you have to do. It is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to meet with the God of the universe who loves you and wants you back. Let me just... Just based, I, I told you my experience a little bit. I just gave you a little snippet of kind of when I felt like I was on the edge and I felt like I was going to go over and I felt like I was really going to lose my faith. And, and, and I've been a pastor off and on for almost 20 years. And Let me give you what I think is some really good advice about prayer. Maybe you're struggling with prayer. Maybe you're stagnant with prayer. And again, prayer isn't just something that you do. It's connecting with God. So let me give you some advice. It's really profound. Really profound. You might want to write it down. You ready? Try stuff. When it comes to prayer, try stuff. You know, at Church of the Resurrection, we're not like just making, as you see, we're not like just making stuff up as we go along every Sunday. We're praying with the historic... Christian community. Basically, some of the same ways Christians have been praying for a couple thousand years. Basically, like the same patterns. But, so in that context, try some stuff. You know, when I first came to Church of the Resurrection six years ago, or five years ago, you know, notice up against the wall they have these, they call them, we call them prayer ministers, you know? And so I noticed there's like these people standing, and in the second service, they're, they're dressed in a robe, and they got a green on, and I thought, who are those people? Do they get paid? No. They just stand there, and they pray for people. So it's like, really? So I got a need, which I do every Sunday. I got something I'm worried about, something I'm struggling with, something that's basically beating the snot out of me, you know? So I can just go over there, and they'll pray for me, and they don't judge me, and they don't give me advice, they'll just pray for me, and it's free? That's better than cutting it in half, that's free. It's like, why would I not want to do that? So almost every Sunday, boom, I'm going. Get in prayer, would you pray for this? Would you pray for that? Would you pray for this? I was like a regular for some of these the prayer partners, you know, prayer people I had. It's like, okay, here comes Matt again, I know what to pray for. What is it this week, Matt? So try something. You know, sometimes we do something we call um, confession, where you can go to a, a priest or you can go to somebody on pastoral staff and you, you lay out a sin before them and you have them pray for them. Does that sound scary? Ah, it was kind of scary for me, but I tried it. It's like, I really like this. I don't think I'll do it every day, but I like this. This really helped me. You know, you're going to hear in just a few minutes, you're going to hear about something we, we call 40 days of prayer. And you're going to hear about that, and you're going to hear some ways that you can participate in that. And some of it may be 
well, I've never tried that before. And I would just say, well, then try it. Try praying in that way. Try opening yourself up to the Lord in that way. The Lord may really surprise you. I was on a men's retreat this weekend on uh, Friday night. We, had, we were two and a half hours from here, a very beautiful spot. We, all the men went outside. We found a spot on the ground. It was like 10 o'clock at night. It was dark. You could, it was a full moon. It was gorgeous out. Just said, just sit there for half an hour and just be with the Lord. Well, I tried that. I tell you, that was kind of weird at first, but that was really good. I really liked that. And remember, all this stuff is free. You don't have to pay for it. Free prayer. God is giving it away. The church is giving it away. Take advantage of it. Now, let me just say, just for some of you here this morning, there may be one very particular kind of specialized prayer that you might want to pray this morning. And I, I don't mean to just try this out like you would, you know, try out a new kind of shampoo. It's a lot deeper than that. It's a lot more serious than that. But that is the prayer to invite Christ into your heart. And some of you have heard maybe Christians or a friend, they say, well, I invited Jesus into my heart, or I'm a born-again Christian, or I accepted Jesus. And it's like, what, is that, what does that mean? What is that? Well, it's very simple. If Christ is really there, if he's really alive, he's really risen from the dead, then I can talk to him. And if I can talk to him, I can say certain things to him. I can ask certain things. And this is a certain prayer that says, okay, Lord Jesus, if you're really there, if you're really who you say you are, I want to trust in you with as much as my heart as I know. I don't know everything. I still have questions. I still have doubts. But I know this. I want you to forgive my sins. I want you to come into my life. And I want you to start guiding my life. Now, if that's where you're at, you can pray that prayer. You can open yourself up and pray that prayer. Remember, the crisis can become an opportunity. Remember Asaph on the cliff? You don't have to be stuck there. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to be stagnant. Take a step. Take a step closer to the Lord who is waiting for you, who has gone all out to win you back. Amen.